Welcome to The Talk at Revolution, where each week we explore what it looks like to find Jesus and live like Him in a practical way. At Revolution Community Church, we know that we are better together. Each week, we look to celebrate Jesus, connect with others, and contribute to the church, community, and beyond. If you'd like to connect with Revolution or take a next step, please visit us at revolutioncc.org or at our Logansport, Indiana campus located at 3930 East Market Street. And now, we hope you are encouraged and challenged by this talk. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, have so, heard so much about you guys from Anthony uh, over the uh, years uh, that I've known him, and uh, he loves you guys. He really does. Uh, he loves this place. And um, so anyway, it's so good to be here. It's been good to get to know some of the other staff, some of the other team. And uh, you, you got a great thing uh, happening here. So uh, if you see me, I've been kind of going around taking some pictures. We're in a big uh, remodel ourselves. And so I, like, I wish we would have thought of this and maybe we can still do this. And uh, uh, last time I was in here, you hadn't done some of the stuff out there. So it's so good to be in here. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to share with you during your summer of collaboration. Uh, my wife, uh, Carmen, and I have been uh, made to feel welcome here. And uh, we uh, really appreciate that. So last week, uh, Julie kicked off this theme, uh, Faith in Practice, and, uh, and she reminded us that, um, that following Jesus is about being with Jesus, uh, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he would have us to do. And uh, I listened to that, and I love the lenses uh, that she used to describe um, kind of the things that we want to be thinking about over the next few weeks, because they're right on. They're exactly the way I feel that pursuing faith in practice, pursuing these ideas that we're talking about today and over the next few weeks uh, is really about the relationships that we establish and not some kind of a reward that we get from God. The lens of that it's community building. It's, uh, it's not about comparison, like, like we're all in this together, not somebody is better than somebody else. And the sense of intentionality and how this doesn't happen just randomly, that we need to be focused and intentional in this training for godliness. And it's really about the progress that we make and not a sense of perfection or not a sense of, of arriving. And I love that. Um, this entire theme is based on that verse that the Apostle Paul uh, gave to his young protege uh, uh, by the name of Timothy when he wrote to him uh, these words. He said, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. And then he said this, for the training, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And I love that because the church I serve, our entire mission is that we want to empower everyday people to live and lead like Jesus. And it's done in the context of community. It's, it's not about getting it right all the time, but it's about the journey. It's about the progress of becoming more and more like Jesus. So today, uh, these few moments, I want to talk about one of those faith-building practices that I think is absolutely critical in our journey, our journey with Jesus and toward Jesus and to become more like Jesus. And it's, it's about the role that the Word of God has in our lives. 
Now, not just the casual reading of it on a periodic basis, while I have to admit that anything is better than nothing, okay? But that the true power of God's word in your life and in my life is when it is that when we go through the process of discovering God's faithfulness and his love toward us, and our identity is defined by what he has said about us, by allowing his word to kind of permeate our minds and permeate our hearts and so that our our actions reflect the word of God. You see, the Bible is God's love story. It really is. It's not a book of rules and a book of right and wrongs. It's actually a, a love story with humanity. And it is a complete guidebook for life. And this is why it's so critical that we move from merely just reading or hearing the Bible to actually memorizing and meditating on its message so that it, so that it permeates our lives. Now, this is one of the ways that you and I are going to see great movement in our spiritual development as followers of Jesus. That the practice of allowing Scripture to permeate your mind and your heart, this is where we begin to experience God's presence in our lives in greater and greater ways. In the Psalms, the Psalms is that section of Scripture that uh, is beautiful, um, and, and a, really a powerful part of scripture. Um, the Psalms are made up of songs and prayers and battle cries and laments, and the Psalms are filled with all of these, all expressing the human heart's longing for God, longing for justice in this world and in our lives. The very first one, the very first Psalm is, is powerful and it kind of sets the precedent for all the other Psalms. And this is what it says. I'd like to read a couple of verses of Psalm chapter one. He says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. In other words, they delight in the word of God. Meditating on it day and night, day and night. And they're like trees planted along a river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Now, I got to be honest. I, I, I get it. That sounds great. Like when I read these verses, I, it, you know, it's beautiful, and it, it, it makes an impression on me. But meditating on a day and night, that sounds crazy. Like, uh, it sounds impossible, actually. Like, the attention spans that we have, we don't even last for a whole movie anymore. Um, rather, you know, we'd rather watch short videos or listen to a TED Talk than read a whole book. So how are we going to meditate on it day and night? But don't miss this. The writer of Psalm 1 says the result of, about, uh, the, uh, the result of allowing God's Word to permeate your mind and your heart is that our lives will bear fruit that this transformation that will take place in us will be real, it will be visible, there will be evidence of it in our lives. People will see the difference in those who allow God's word to soak into their lives and everything you do. See, here's the issue. Sometimes, 
And maybe you're like this, maybe you're not, but sometimes I'm like this. I, I see things like this and I hear things like this and I, sometimes I think it's like it's all or nothing. And it freezes me. Like it causes me to choose neither one. Like I don't know if I can go all in meditating day and night. I do want something and it's like all or nothing so I don't know what to choose and so I don't do anything. It freezes me, we become paralyzed. But if the way that we begin to be more fruitful in our lives is by meditating day and night, well then I don't see how that's gonna be possible so that I'm not even gonna expect to see that level of fruitfulness in my life. And so we just kind of stop, we're frozen because we don't know if we can be all in on that. Now this is why the lenses that Julie laid out last week, and if you didn't hear that talk, if you weren't here, if you were away for July 4th or whatever it was, encourage you to go back and listen to that. They're so important because it's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about intentionality. It's about what we begin to do day in and day out. It's training for godliness. Let me ask a question. How many of you feel like you're an adventurous person? Feel like you're an adventurous person? Um, Turn, turn to somebody next to you just for t 10 seconds. Tell them the last adventurous thing you did, all right? Just go ahead. You can talk in church. I don't know if you normally do, but for these 10 seconds, you can. Tell somebody the last adventurous thing you've done, all right? Now, I don't actually see myself as an adventurous person. I really don't. When I think of like, if somebody would ask me, are you an adventurous person? I go, I don't think so. I'm pretty practical, pretty, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't really see myself in that way. However, when I think about my life, and I'm 55 years old, I've lived a lot of life. When I think about my life, I have experienced so many crazy adventures in my life, even though I don't feel like I'm an adventurous person. In my early childhood, my parents were missionaries in Brazil. Uh, in South America. And uh, I can remember I learned how to swim there. My dad says that one day I just jumped into the deep end and I figured it out, you know, kind of a thing. Like that could have ended badly. My story could have been over quickly. Um, but I guess I just wanted some adventure as that little guy. Uh, you know, I was able to do some incredible things, some great adventures when I think back to living in Brazil as a young boy. Uh, in my early childhood years, I remember going to my uncle's house. He lived in Colorado and We'd go four-wheeling in an old Ford Bronco, and I guess the new Ford Bronco's out now, like there's a new thing left. And that old Ford Bronco, we'd go four-wheeling up in the mountains and places where uh, one time I was so scared I had to get out. Like he was gonna go, we're gonna walk up because it looked so scary uh, for that. Uh, I've been snow skiing on the Continental Divide. I remember once my uncle lived in Puerto Rico and we went there and he took us in a little Cessna airplane um, around, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, took off right over the water. And I remember just, you know, being nervous about that. Um, I've ridden like dirt bikes and uh, grew up in Northeast Ohio in the strip coal mines of Pennsylvania. And I think about some of the stuff I did and my, my neighbor buddy did it. And so I went with him and I think about hunting adventures of rabbit hunting, pheasant hunting. I used to bow hunt off a tree, like 20 foot off a ravine. Now I don't think I'd even climb that, you know, that, like I can't believe I even climbed that thing to get up there. I've had adventures on horseback. Uh, we had kids in 4-H, I understand your fair starting, and our kids were in 4-H fair, and, and we had horses. And uh, uh, we, I remember one time with we the Salamone um, uh, Park, and uh, we rode horses, and we were in 
camping with horses. Like, I would never do that again, but somebody talked us into it. And we, what an adventure it was. Um, just, I feel like my son almost died. We were in mud. We swam with our horses, like crazy stuff as I look back. I have a horse, uh, his name was Dollar. And um, I remember I got thrown off Dollar like three times in a row, three times in a row. And I tell people it's the time that I got three bucks for a dollar. So anyway, um, you know, I've flown with my, my neighbor has one of those parachute planes and, uh, and he took me up one time and we were like a couple hundred feet off the ground going on the Wabash River and cornfields and uh, I got to do that. Um, I've rafted down class three, class four rapids. Carmen and I have kayaked in Lake Superior. Uh, in college, I climbed a 14,000 foot mountain with my dad. In 2015, I signed up to do a full Ironman. I had never done one like that. I'd never even run a marathon before. And I signed up to do a full Ironman. I swam 2.4 miles in the Ohio River. I biked 112 miles in the back roads of Kentucky. I ran my first marathon in that full Ironman. Um, I've been on African safari with my kids, almost stampeded by angry elephants. That's another story. Uh, for our 25th anniversary, you know what we did? We flew to Seattle, we rented a Harley, and we took the Pacific Coast Highway all the way to San Diego. We were dressed like biker gang and all that stuff. Kids were scared of my wife. She's like a school teacher. She's a great mom. And they were like, biker woman, stay away from her. And, and uh, you know, we, we had this great experience. I've portaged canoes and alcohol. I've done all these stuff. I've been in the Sea of Galilee, walked in places with Jesus. Two weeks ago, I was in a three days near Yellowstone, kayaking among the wolves and the grizzly bears. I just read, in the, I read an article this week. There was a grizzly bear pulled somebody from a tent at 3 a.m. Um, and mauled them to death. Now, that could have been me. Like, I would have been a great meal for a hungry bear, all right? Like, like, like he would have had a good time with me. This coming October, I'm traveling to Nepal with a few other church leaders who love church planting. And this is where Anthony and I connect, this, this love for planting churches together. And together, eight of us, we're going to raise $500,000 to start churches and intentionally care for children around the world. But we're trekking like 80 miles up to Mount Everest Base Camp. And... We will go to about 18,000 feet. Now, listen, I'm not a hiker, and I'm doing this. I, like, I don't know why I signed up for this. Now, here's, I tell you all these things for this, because I still don't think of myself as an adventurous person. I really don't, because here's the truth. In several of those things that I've listed, I wasn't so sure at the time that I actually wanted to go through it. True, true, true thing. There are moments when I hesitated, when I wanted to turn around, when I wanted to cancel the trip or make changes, there are times when I thought for sure I was gonna die or be seriously hurt or I wouldn't have the strength to finish it. The other guys in our new thing network, some of the guys that have been speaking for you in this collaboration summer, when I told them about going to Everest Base Camp, um, they tease me every time we get together because they're not sure I'm excited about it. Like I talk about it with dread, you know? And that they're like, Look, you don't act like you're, you're wanting to do it. I said, I don't know if I am. Like, I'm anxious. I'm actually not sure I'm going to be able to do it. See, some of these adventures have cost me more time and money than I anticipated. Some of them cost me more work and practice and training and learning than what I knew at the time. And to be honest, some of them weren't as fun as they are talking about it now. Like, actually doing it is not as fun as actually being able to say you did it, Right? like swimming in the Ohio River for my Ironman. You know what? That was freaky. I was scared to death. There's creepy things in that river. When I was thrown off my horse three times in a row, 
I could have been done with horses right then. I was looking for glue factories on Google. Where do you already send this horse in kind of thing? Like, I want to be done. Excuse me, PETA, if you're watching. I didn't mean that. Um, flying out a little Cessna around Puerto Rico, true story. I cried. I made my uncle turn the plane around and we landed early because I didn't like it. See, there's a gap between the idea of doing something or the hope of accomplishing something or the excitement of going somewhere and actually accomplishing it. There's, there's, there's like a gap. And in that gap between the promise of something better and experiencing something better and an adventure of a lifetime, in that season, in that gap between what you could do and where you are is where many dreams and hopes and adventures die. It's in that gap that all kinds of things come into our minds. I'm too old to change. I'm too young to do this. I'm too inexperienced. I'm too busy if you knew my schedule. I'm too poor. I'm too scared. I'm too cautious. I'm too out of shape. I'm too important for that. I'm really unimportant for that. And here's the truth that we are almost always living in what I call this gap. In the gap is where most of our lives are lived. You get this? Like, like I just mentioned some of these adventures, but most of my life has been lived in this season of the gap. We highlight the adventures, the Instagram moments, but most of life is just that. It's just life. Let me explain what I mean. Like the gap is that space between what you're hoping or expecting or wanting and the actual fulfillment of what you're hoping, expecting, and wanting. It's the gap between the promise or the desire and the actual fulfillment of that promise or desire. Parents, you know what it's like. You live in the gap. The gap is the place where you know there are things that you wish were true, you hoped would be, you dreamed it would be like, but where you actually are today and you're in this season of the gap. It happens in relationships, it happens in work, in our physical health. We often live in the gap of our hopes and dreams and expectations and what is true today. Does that make sense, the gap? We're constantly living in what I call this gap. Now listen, the gap also applies to our spiritual pursuit and our spiritual journey. That God has given us this incredible promise, this generous invitation. He's called you to himself. He's called you to follow his son, Jesus and the promises for all eternity. You're gonna be filled with joy. There's not gonna be a day of sadness and loneliness ever again, but we're not there yet. We're living in the gap. The promise is also what Jesus said when he said the thief, he came to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came to give you life and to give it to the full. And so we're like, God, 
You promised me abundant life. You promised me these spiritual adventures. You promised me that I would thrive. Some of you might recall the passage in Jeremiah 29. We have a painting in our bedroom that has this verse inscribed on it. It says that I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future and not to harm you. And so we quote scriptures like that back to God and we say, God, you promised me this incredible future. You made this amazing promise. And maybe the child that you've been waiting on for years hasn't been born yet. Or the marriage isn't happening or the marriage that is happening is struggling. Or the ministry that God's put in your heart isn't taking off. The business is actually failing. And you don't know what's going on and you're like, is this it, God? Where's the abundant life? Where's the fulfillment of all these promises? It hasn't come about. It hasn't been made real. And you can tell that you're living in this gap. We're living in a gap between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And God has invited every one of us yet to still thrive to live a thriving life with him. But maybe you're in this gap. The place or time or space between this invitation and fulfillment. So what do we do? Like if most of our lives are actually lived in this season, what do you do? What do you do in the meantime? What do you do day to day? What do you do to prepare for Maybe a sudden adventure or an adventure that you work hard to experience with God. This is what Paul was referring to when he said that we need to be training for godliness. The adventures, listen, the adventures that God will lead you on are the fruit of the training and the preparation that takes place in the gap. It's what we do during the gap that actually makes most of the difference. Trust me, it's fun to point to the adventures. I mean, that's what we post on Instagram. But in reality, our lives are lived in the gap. So what do we do in the gap so that our spiritual journey is fruitful? I just wanna give you like three words and a statement with each, but like three basic words just to kind of help you think about what can you do day in and day out in this season of the gap. First word is this, is the, first, is the word decide. Decide. Decide to seek wisdom and truth from God's word first. Proverbs 16, 16. Proverbs was written by Solomon. Solomon was granted a wish, basically. I mean, like, God said whatever you want, and he chose wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, and he became the wisest man that's ever lived, the scripture says. And he wrote all these collection of wise words, and there's all kinds of things. And one particular one in Proverbs 16, 16, Solomon says, how much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver. Now, I can't overstate how a big, big deal this was when he said this. Because he went and took the number one most valuable commodity 
not only in his era, but really for centuries and centuries, gold is what everybody wanted. See, gold was wealth. Gold represented power. Gold represented prestige. And he said, how much better it is to get wisdom than that which what everybody else wants. And then he took the second most valuable commodity, silver, and he said, good judgment is better than silver. How much better to get wisdom than what everybody else wants is gold and good judgment than silver. Let me say it this way. If I had better wisdom and judgment at different times in my life, I'd probably have more gold and silver. You know what I mean? Like, uh, anybody else feel that way? Like, uh, I, I was thinking about the time I bought my first car. Anybody remember buying your first car? Like, I had a car that my dad had given me, but then when I bought my first car, I bought it on a whim. My wife and I were driving, it was one night, and the car wasn't working right, and I was in college, and we pulled in this lot, and I bought a 1986 Cavalier Z24, it was a hot rod, hatchback, black, four-speed manual. That was my first car. It was beautiful, and I bought it on a whim. I didn't know anything about buying a car. I'm not even sure I could afford it. I walked in, and we said, well, what's the price? I said, well, this is the price. I didn't know anything about buying a car. And so I said, well, I'll take it. I'll, I guess I'll pay that price. If that's the price, that's the price. I think the salesman is still on vacation on the commission that he made on me. All right? I didn't know about haggling and all that kind of stuff, right? My negotiation was that tire looks a little low. Could you at least fill it up? You know, like that's all I did. And so um, wisdom, judgment, how many of you would agree that you'd probably have more gold and silver if you had better wisdom and judgment over the years, right? Now the apostle Paul took this idea of wisdom as well in the New Testament, but he clarifies. He clarifies that it's only wisdom that comes from God that's better than gold and silver. There's a difference between human wisdom and conventional wisdom and godly wisdom. They're not always the same. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 1. See, true wisdom is not just intellectual understanding and knowledge and experience and a keen mind. True wisdom is found in Jesus. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says that God made him to be wisdom itself, that God has united you with Christ for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. That God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. So instead of Facebook and YouTube and Instagram influencers, instead of depending on Dr. Phil and Oprah and John Stewart and Tucker Carlson and Maria Kondo, although I understand she's pretty amazing, Decide to seek wisdom and truth in God's word first. In Jesus. Day to day in your life, the way you prepare for a spiritual adventure, for thriving in the day to day moments, decide that you're going to seek wisdom and truth in God's word first. For your marriage, in your relationships, in your work life as a parent in your dating life. So decide. Number two is commit, commit. Decide and commit. Commit to learning and applying God's word. I think one of the reasons that Israel survived as a nation 
throughout its history wasn't because they were powerful or they were large as a nation or they were wealthy. They were actually a servitude nation for much of its history. But I think they not only survived but thrived and actually influenced the world in so many ways because of their commitment to learning and applying God's word. Every parent's greatest task was to help their children learn the book, to learn the scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, in Deuteronomy 6, beginning of verse 6, it says this, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again and to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. I would add when you're playing in the yard, when you're head, headed to t-ball, when you're eating supper, when you're on vacation, when you go to the fair, when you're working in the yard, when you're sitting around a campfire. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. See, commit yourself that these spiritual conversations, conversations about God's word, becomes not just something you do on Sundays or something that you do in a group setting or in a student ministry setting, that it actually becomes part of your whole life, everything that you're a part of. Now, everybody might do this differently. I don't want to prescribe like there's a one-size-fits-all for everybody. For example, my wife, Carmen, she uses the one-year Bible. And for many years now, she's read through the whole Bible in this format of the one-year Bible. It's designed to basically help you to read through the Bible an entire year. It misses, mixes the Old Testament with the New Testament. It divides it out for you. It takes 15, 20 minutes a day. And she's done that for years. That never really worked for me. I tend to focus on shorter passages of scripture or verses over a longer period. I wrestle through certain passages or verses. I, I mull it over, I process it. I'm trying to let it enter into my heart and into my mind in a different way. My point is there's no right or wrong way to do this. If you're not familiar, there's the online app version sends you verses, reading plans. You can create accountability. The whole family can receive the same verse. The whole family can be on the same reading plan. So commit to learning and applying the word of God. Application is critical. Jesus tells this story in Matthew 7. Simple story. Many of you have heard it before. Two builders, one built on a foundation of stone, the other on a foundation of sand. Both had the same storms enter into their life. The one who built on the stone, the house is still standing. The other one built on the sand while it collapsed. In the news these past couple of weeks, we know all too well about the importance of solid foundation, right? In Florida. And here's the distinction between the two according to Jesus in that passage. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, is wise, like the person who builds on solid rock. The wise builder is the one who not only heard the teaching, but applied it to his life. The foolish builder, it's interesting. 
The foolish builder also heard the teaching, also heard the word. But that's it. He just heard it. He just read it. And he didn't apply it. He didn't let it permeate his heart and his mind. So decide to seek wisdom and truth from God's word first. And then commit yourself to learning and applying God's word. Start small. Keep doing what you can day to day, the grind of it. And then number three, I would say depend. Depend on what you're reading, on what you're learning. Depend on God's word to sustain you in the gap. You see, when life gets routine, it gets boring, when it gets hard, we tend to turn to many different things to help us cope, and many of those things are more unhealthy than they are life-giving. Binge-watching, maybe we medicate things, maybe it's drugs or too much alcohol or weed or whatever it might be. We just want to numb our senses. Maybe it's food. We eat because we're bored or we eat, we're lonely, sad, whatever it is. And while every one of us probably turns to some of these at times, the more that we can depend on God's word to sustain us, the more that we begin to thrive in our spiritual journey. This is the strategy that Jesus used. He not only knew the word of God, he actually depended on the word of God to sustain his daily life. Matthew 4 and Luke 4 tell the same story about the time that Jesus is fasting and he's focusing on his relationship with the Father. And the devil comes during the season and tries to get him off focus and tries to persuade him, tries to abandon the Father and tries to tempt him. And those temptations came in three major areas. And I think they're the same ones that we face oftentimes. The temptation of appetite and ambition and approval of others. And, and when you read that passage, you notice that Jesus didn't turn to what his friends told him to try to deal with it. He didn't try to focus in on self-discipline and kind of just try to work harder. You notice that he didn't read something on Facebook or he didn't quote a book that he read about it. Jesus used the scriptures, the word of God, to push through those temptations in each one of those attacks. And in Matthew 4, 4, it says that Jesus told him no because the scriptures say, and he quoted it. And he did that with each of the temptations. See, the power of the scriptures was evident in how Jesus responded to those temptations. With each temptation, Jesus depended on the word of God to sustain him. And the devil finally left him. You see, when we choose to turn to scripture, when we recall verses and passages we've memorized, when we meditate on them, we've read, when we choose to depend on them, during our times of grief and loneliness and pain and sadness and boredom, we're choosing to trust God. We're choosing to say yes to God in our lives, saying no to ourselves in the moment. And the more that we can say yes to God in our lives, the more power the Holy Spirit has in us, the more evidence of the Holy Spirit is found in us. And this is the transformation that the Word of God can have in you. So I just want to encourage you during the gap times, which honestly is most of your life, to spend that time meditating and memorizing scriptures so that those scriptures permeate your mind and your heart 
Decide that you're going to do it. Commit yourself to some way of doing that. And then depend on it. Depend and trust the word of God. Now, let me be the first to say that I'm struggling with this microphone. You've been watching me do this whole time. It keeps sliding down. So let me be the first to say that I've screwed this up more than I've gotten it right. Like when you get it right, it feels good, doesn't it? You feel good and you assume that God is proud of you. When I screw up, I feel like a failure. And believe me, I feel like a failure more than you know. Maybe even some of you here today, when you hear these things, instead of being encouraged, you're reminded of your failure your failure in your journey with God. And honestly, I don't know if you can use this word, you feel stupid. You know what I mean? Like you, like you do something stupid and you're like, man, I feel stupid, I'm stupid. You kick yourself. I know what that's like. It wasn't too long ago, Kermit and I, we drove up to Michigan and we had this little convertible. I used to have a Harley and didn't want to kill myself, so I went to a convertible. And uh, we took this convertible up to... Um, the UP uh, up in uh, northern Michigan. And uh, before we left to go there, um, last, like, like on a whim, I, I have a concealed carry permit. And so I decided, well, I'll just put the gun in the car and we'll go. So I put the gun in the car. And, um, and so we took off and we're headed up uh, to Michigan. And I kind of forgot about it. It's just in my car, kind of in a glove box. And, and, um, and so while we're driving up, we stopped and we did some other things. And then then I, I, told my, I told Carmen, I said, you know, I threw our passports in here. I said, we should just go to Canada. Like, we're going all the way up to Sault Ste. Marie, you know, so uh, we should just go to Canada. And so I just, I went ahead and uh, I used Priceline, you know, and I just, I said, let's just do it. Let's just book a room in Canada. So, so I booked a room. Let's just sleep in the Canadian side. And I got an expensive hotel on the Canadian side, and uh, we'll just sleep over there. I got our passports in the car anyway, so I, that's what I did. And then after I booked the room, it's like non-refundable. About an hour later, I realized I got a gun in the car. I don't think I can go into Canada with my gun. And I hadn't told her any of this. And I'm like, shoot, now what do I do? Like, do I try to sneak it in? Do I throw it out? Do I, you're like, I don't know. Like, I'm starting to panic. I'm like, panic, I got a gun in my car. I can't go into Canada with a gun in my car. I don't want to go to jail. I call up my... Yeah, your preacher's in jail in Canada because he took in a gun, right? Like, I, that, that wasn't going to go well. And I thought, man, I am so stupid. Not only do I have this, not only did I just, you know, book a hotel a couple hundred dollars, and, and now I don't know what to do. And I'm, you know, I'm just like, you're stupid. I'm just like stewing over this. Like, you're so stupid, stupid. I'm kicking myself. So I thought, well, we're just going to have to book another room. So we got up, uh, booked another room on the American side. Well, I already spent all my money, so I got like a $50 room. So, honey, I said, I'm sorry, we're just going to have this little $50 hotel. And uh, so we pulled in this little hotel, and uh, we went in, and it was really bad. And, uh, and I was like, feeling so stupid. Here we got a nice hotel right across the bridge, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, we went in, started unpacking, and I thought, well, how about we just leave the gun in the room? If this is about the gun, I'll just leave the gun in the room. I got the room, right? We left a couple bags and just tucked the gun under it, and I thought... So let's just go to Canada and leave the gun. So, I, so here's the deal. I rented a room for my gun, basically, so that I could go into Canada, right? And, uh, 
And like, I felt so stupid about that. Like I, who rents a motel room for their gun so they can go into Canada? And this is how we feel sometimes when we do these things. Like, like we don't accomplish what it is God wants to do, whatever it is. We tend to feel this way, and at least I do sometimes. Like, if God is pleased with us when we get it right, he must be ashamed of us when we get it wrong. We tie our behavior to our identity, and we have it backwards. Here's the truth. That God is pleased with us when we get it right, but listen, he still loves us. When do we get it wrong? Because we're his kids, dearly loved children, and he loves us and is proud of us before we do what's right and after we do what's wrong. Our identity as his children is what matters, and so lean into your identity. The things I'm sharing are not meant to bring shame and guilt but rather to give you the tools to empower you to live a more fruitful life as a son and daughter, the king of the universe, so that you can have great spiritual adventures. So that like the tree that the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 1, trees planted along the riverbank, that we would be those trees, that we'd bear fruit in each season because of how we spend the time in the gap. Our leaves never withering, prospering, in all that we do. So I just want to pray for you. And as I pray, I just want to give you a moment because I believe that the Holy Spirit works in these ways. And so I'm going to ask you to just pray a silent prayer. I'm going to ask you to ask God. So God, what is it that you're saying to me today? I believe God has a specific message for everyone in this room. I just want to give you a moment to pray that. Ask God, God, speak to me what it is you want me to know. For some of you, he may be whispering that he just wants you to know that there are some great adventures ahead. Maybe for some of you, he's just whispering, start moving. Don't stand frozen. Maybe for some of you, he's speaking a word of love because you're beating yourself up and he wants to know that you're still loved. So what's God saying to you? And like Matthew 7, it's not just so that we hear the word, but we actually put it into practice. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to obey him? Training for godliness is not just knowing what to do. It's actually putting it into practice. And so what are you going to do? Maybe you have some decisions to make or commitments to make. Maybe there's a dependence on a word of scripture that you've been putting off to the side and you need to trust God rather than yourself. So Lord, I pray these things. I pray that you would just speak a word to all of us. And I thank you that you do and that you choose to speak to us because you love us. 
And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.